to another episode in International Airport Reviews podcast series. This podcast is set to be extremely interesting. One of the most influential leaders in aviation, Angela Gittins, will be retiring from the industry at the end of this month. After leading ACI World as Director General for 12 years, I've organised the podcast with Angela to gain knowledge of her experiences within aviation, hear how she has seen the sector evolve and learn of her predictions for the future. It is an honour to host this podcast with Angela during her last month. And on that note, I think that's enough from me. Let's hear from Angela. Hi, Angela. Thank you so much for joining me today. To start off, can I ask you, what are the takeaway points from your time in the aviation industry? Well, I think the biggest takeaway is that it's always changing. You know, I tell people because we do, especially at the airport level, we often get executives that come in from another industry. And I always tell them, you're never more than about three to five years behind because every three to five years is a new era in our business. And I think that it would be very clear right now if I said, if I said that to anyone because this is the heralding of a new era for us once again. Yeah, of course. And so what have you personally learned from working in aviation? To be bold, that you have to take risks. Uh, You can't play it safe because playing it safe can be riskier than being bold. And I think that that may be the kind of the biggest lesson. That's brilliant. Which areas of aviation have you found to be the most exciting? Well, I mean, really all of it, because it changes so much. The focus on safety has never waned, and we continue to learn more and more and delve more and more into how to make the system safer. You know, it's very safe now, uh, but we don't rest on those laurels, and we continue to learn and institute more measures, uh, more processes, uh, more analyses, Uh, and how to make the system even safer. We've certainly seen, and you know, security is kind of another side of safety. It's under a different jurisdiction, but it's all part of being safe. And we've certainly seen a lot of transformations uh, with respect to security, and that's going to continue. And then we're gonna see, with respect to health, another component of safety. You know, when it comes to aviation, more so than most spheres of our lives, the sense that we're going to be safe is more critical. I believe because people inherently have a fear of flying. It's not kind of in our DNA as human beings. So as an industry, we have to do everything we can to make the consumer uh, feel that they're in good hands. Yeah, definitely. Are there any projects or achievements that you've been involved in that you're most proud of? Well, quite a few. I think, um, you know, if I kind of go back in my career, back when I was in uh, U.S. airports, uh, in San Francisco in particular, the opening doors for minorities and women businesses, uh, and even now kind of opening doors for minorities and women to get into aviation and the efforts that we are making to we, I mean, the industry writ large, working with other parts of the industry to get girls interested in aviation, to get women recruited into and developed in aviation. So that's been a very proud element of my career is encouraging uh, those that have been left out traditionally to get into the business, whether it's as airport operators or businesses that function at airports. 
I'm particularly proud of what we did in Atlanta uh, to prepare the airport for the Olympic Games, the 1996 Olympic Games, which at the time, the largest Olympics at the time, and the airport was coming out of a scandal. Oh, actually, when I got there, it was still in the scandal. My predecessor had his trial and was convicted of bribery or, or soliciting bribes from concessionaires and I think about seven people went to jail over that. So we had a tremendous reputational uh, damage situation. We had a terrible concession program. We, as primarily a domestic airport uh, at the time, we had to transform ourselves into an airport that uh, was comfortable handling uh, a large international component. And uh, we had a huge customer service problem. Our spine, the, the train system was way under capacity for the, for the growth that was occurring. And indeed, we had suffered or they had suffered at the time with declining traffic volumes, partly because we didn't have the capacity to deal with the origin and destination traffic. That was the, the growth market because Atlanta had always been a major connecting hub. And so the connecting infrastructure was pretty good, except for the, the train, which was the spine of the airport. But the origin and destination facilities were woefully inadequate. So we addressed all of those things in a very short period of time with outstanding results. And that was a, a real source of pride for me. Not that I did it alone. I, you're using teamwork, getting a lot of support from all of uh, the stakeholders. I was constantly on the phone uh, with with other experts in the field uh, asking for advice. Uh, and it really showed, and this I was able to use later, really showed that this is an industry uh, that helps each other out. Uh, so anytime I asked people for advice, for help, they were very glad to give it. And then I jumped forward to ACI when we started what we call the APEX program, the Airport Excellence Program, where we started this peer review system uh, looking at the safety components of airports. We assembled a group of uh, subject matter experts in safety and airport uh, technical design, uh, airfield design particularly, and based on international standards and national standards and ACI best practice, we review with the staff and management of the airport, the host airport, what they could improve and discuss uh, ways that they can improve. So we use, and, and that's provided for free, the host airport pays for the travel and out-of-pocket expenses, but there's no fee, there's no charge for the time of these experts. And so we have many airports around the world that uh, willingly uh, allow their subject matter experts to be part of this, you know, with no remuneration for themselves. And we have found this to be a 360 degree program. Didn't start out that way, but it turned out that the folks, we call them safety partners, the subject matter experts that go to these reviews wind up learning a lot themselves. And this has been a program that's not just uh, for the developed world, it's for everybody. So we have airports that operate very well, are very sophisticated, and they use this uh, as a way of having continuous improvement. So deploying the expertise and generosity of airports to help each other has been a real source 
uh, of pride, something that we've accomplished at ACI. We started in safety, uh, and then we kind of got pushed in it to do it for security, and now we're uh, looking at doing it for environment and for other aspects of the business because both sides, uh, the receiving airport and the donating airports have found it to be beneficial. And then the regulatory community has taken note of it uh, and sees it as a solution, sees ACI and airports uh, providing solutions to what they want. You know, they want states and airports to uh, be in compliance and uh, show best practices in all of these areas. So it's, it's, it's been a tremendous program. It's on, as you can imagine, it's on halt right now because people can't travel around. But it's something that's going to continue once, uh, you know, once some of these restrictions are lifted and will uh, flourish in a, you know, probably in every discipline in our industry. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Looking at airports now, are there any areas of development that you find them to be reluctant to work within? Well, I think airports, you know, where, where airports started was as public infrastructure and are in the process of evolving so that their business is in their own right, regardless of the ownership structure, you know, whether it's a privately operated or a publicly operated, airports need to act as businesses. They need to be able to satisfy their customers. They need to be able to generate enough revenue so that they're not a burden on the local or national taxpayer. And so uh, what we've seen is airports assuming more of a business relationship in their airport. Uh, you know, there's a continuum there because airports are also very concerned about taking on liability as kind of an average airport, if you will, maybe 10, 20% of the employees that are actually working daily at the airport, only 10 to 20% actually are employed by the airport operator. So there's so much of what it takes for an airport to be successful that's not in the direct hands of the airport operator, the owner or the operator. So you see variations in uh, airport operators' willingness to delve too much in some of those areas, even though it's necessary for them to function properly in order to have a successful experience for for the passenger and a successful outcome for all concerned. So you have government employees, you have airline employees, you have uh, contractors, security contractors, retailers, food and beverage, uh, et cetera, and those folks typically do not uh, work for the airport operator. So as I say, airports are in varying stages of how engaged they want to be because uh, they, one, want to avoid liability, two, may not have the capacity to really engage properly. That's an area that I think is going to continue to develop. Two or three years ago, developed a, uh, this is ACI, a ground handling policy and then a template for a ground handling license. Uh, and this is something that, to me that shows the maturation and evolution of airport operators because 10 years ago, many airports, especially outside of, of Europe, really had a very much a hands-off policy uh, when it came to ground handling. You know, ground handling used to be done directly by the airlines 
by their own employees. Then they started outsourcing and, and for the most part, ground handling is outsourced. There are some countries where uh, the airport directly provides ground handling, uh, but that's, that's still not the majority. But more and more airports are willing to engage in ground handling, not providing it, but in overseeing, making sure that it's an element of safety. It kind of was promoted or encouraged by the institution of safety management systems uh, so that the airport had to take an interest in apron safety, uh, even though it may have very little control over what goes on on the apron, but it's the airport's apron. So uh, you know, these are the kind of issues airport operators have to deal with where they kind of have a responsibility because it's on their patch, but their actual authority is limited. So airports are starting to seek more and more authority, again, being very mindful of the liability they're taking on, but more and more authority so that the overall airport will be successful in all the ways that airports have to be successful, uh, and particularly with respect to safety. So looking at the passenger now, how do you predict that the air traveler is going to evolve? Well, I think what we're going to see, I and mean, we've, we've started to see it already, is as more and more people travel, and again, you're kind of ignoring what's going to happen in the next couple of years, but as more and more people travel, as travel uh, has become a mode of mass transit, if you will, or mass transportation, all kinds of people travel. So, you, you know, you have the millennials and the younger than millennials who are absolutely digitally focused. You have the baby boomers that are still around, but they're not staying home. They're traveling. You have people traveling with small children. You have people who are disabled in, in all kinds of ways. And the airports need to, and, and the industry in general, needs to see all of these equally and be comfortable for all comers uh, and be able to deal with the needs, the wishes, the expectations of all of these folks. And with social media, uh, you know, all of these folks can be in contact with each other. And as airports are in competition with each other to a certain extent, to provide air service and airports are there to provide air service for their communities, for their countries, for the economic and social well-being of the locations that they serve. And so they need to compete for the air service. Airlines increasingly are, as my one of my colleagues says, footloose. Uh, with liberalization, you know, airlines can choose what markets they want to serve, uh, which airports in those markets they want to serve, uh, which airports they want to connect through. They have choices. The passengers have choices, particularly with respect to connections. Uh, and in certain areas, they have a lot of choices even for their originating and, and destination flight. And of course, people have choices for where they're going to go in the first place. You're in a competitive situation and you need to attract the airlines. You need to attract the passengers and you need to be able to satisfy the needs and expectations of the passengers, which also evolve which also change. Uh, you know, once upon a time, airports considered the passenger a captive audience. You know, you're here, you don't have any choice about where you're going to eat and certain things you have to buy. Um, and so we're going to treat you that way. And as you can see, I'm sure from your travels, that has changed drastically. 
so that the, the offerings, the, the retail and food and beverage offerings at airports have dramatically uh, diversified, higher in quality, lower in price, you know, they're price competitive with off-airport offerings. That was in response to the consumer. And the consumer has, you know, has become quite sought after in terms of generating revenue. And in this current environment, airports are suffering not just from the loss of the revenue from airlines, which is only about 20% uh, on average of the airport's revenue, but the non-aeronautical revenue, which is about 40% of the average airport's uh, revenue base. And that comes from these discretionary buying decisions by the passenger. So how will the changing needs of passengers affect the airport workforce? Are they going to have to function in their jobs differently? Well, we're going to see some of the disruptions that you see in the wider world um, in terms of more automation, more self-service. We're certainly looking to have the customer be able to walk through the airport like, you know, airports were originally designed for. Airports were originally designed for flow. Uh, You come in with your ground transportation, you flow throughout. You come into the terminal and you flow through the three security processes. You flow through security, you go to the gate and you board the plane. All that should be a flow. And then some of the things that have happened over time made that quite a a, uh, stuttering experience. And we're trying to get back to the flow experience. And I think over time, that's what's going to happen. And technology is going to help us make that happen. So for the employees, it will be more of a, an assistance and intervening for the passengers that need the intervention, but a step back for the passengers that want to uh, have this experience uh, very independently and very autonomously. Ah, oh, that's so interesting. Do you think it's possible for the airport to become the destination? I know lots of airports kind of mention it and they are working towards that goal. Or do you think they will always be a gateway to a different desired destination? That really depends when you look at, for example, and this is all going to change, but uh, when you look at, for example, the, say, the shopping experience in uh, Asian airports and European airports versus North American airports. One of the features is in many of these countries that have these great shopping experiences at the airport is you don't have this kind of shopping experiences off the airport. So stores are uh, not open, you know, know, they're open, you know, just during people's working hours. They may not be open on Sundays. The offerings may be limited and may be expensive. And so when you have things like duty-free, it's a huge price advantage at the airport that you don't get off airport. But then you look at North America, and again, this is changing, but look at North America and you have these huge malls, retail everywhere, open till midnight, open seven days a week. So the experience at the airport is just not that necessary. It's not that it's bad, but you certainly have uh, so much retail opportunity in your daily life that the airport really can't can't beat that. So uh, similarly, the idea of something being a destination airport. So a Singapore, a Schiphol, 
can be a destination or Frankfurt can be a destination because of where it is and what it's competing with. But to think of an airport in a, a North American city that's got malls all over the place, what is it that you're offering? And can you park? How easy is it to get there on the road? You know, things that are not necessarily in the airport's control. And in many airports, you know, there's such a scarcity of space. They have enough trouble handling the passenger volume. So the thought of having an additional volume of folks who are not there to travel is not really a good thing because you want to first, first and foremost, you want to be able to facilitate the travel demand. Uh, Only secondarily, do you want to be a destination for everyone else? So that's going to vary. It'll be very exciting to see how that evolves in the future. Yes, and it will be very different in different places. So as we creep closer to the time of your retirement, if you could only give one piece of advice to your successor, what would that be? Uh, It's got to be ACI is unlike most of the other international aviation organizations. We are a federated organization. So the five regions are there to be able to deal with the circumstances of their airports. You know, the most important thing you have to know about an airport is that it's someplace. So that's really different, say, from airlines, you know, that choose to where they can go and they fly different places. An airport is a part of the community they're in. And so many of their characteristics are specific to that community, you know, where they're located, you know, what side of the airport is the body of water, you know, what are the political and cultural and historical elements of that place. Ask Heathrow about being where it is uh, versus where Singapore is, uh, for example. So the regional setup is designed to be able to respond and be relevant to the nature of the airport makeup in that region. So North America, for example, has two countries. So they're very focused on the advocacy element. They can really focus on that. I often say for the U.S., ICAO is a discount furniture store as far as most U.S. airports are concerned. They don't know anything about ICAO. They deal with their own regulator, the FAA. They don't necessarily understand that the FAA deals very much with ICAO. And they don't need to know, basically, because FAA is the final word for them. But you take Asia Pacific, where there is no common regulator. Each country deals, it makes its own rules, not at all in relation to the rules of other countries. Uh, And so ICAO is the common uh, language and regulator for the countries and therefore the airports in Asia Pacific. Then you have Europe that has a a hybrid situation because they have uh, many countries that are in the European Union or closely aligned with it from an aviation standpoint. Uh, But then they also have the other countries that pay no attention to the European Union as far as their aviation elements are concerned and are more focused on ICAO. So ACI World deals with each region 
and you have Latin America and, and Africa, which are a bit more like bit more like Asia Pacific. Africa has some commonality, some uh, regulatory commonality in, in parts of the um, continent. So the regions don't work for world. World works for the regions. And he has to understand that. That's amazing. What are you going to miss most about not being at ACI World? Oh, the people. Yeah, we've got a great team. You know, it's unfortunate right now that uh, we're all separated. <laughs> Everyone's working from home. But we have people that are very conscientious. They're very resourceful. They're always thinking of more ways, better ways to serve the members, to serve the regions. Uh, and it's very heartwarming, you know, to see their commitment. When you have good people, you get to attract other good people. So when we have to recruit, it winds up being fairly easy because, I mean, it's, it's difficult because there's lots of people that, you know, are interested, but we get to pick the cream of the crop because of the reputation uh, that we have and because of the good people that we already have. So I'm going to miss them. I'm going to miss the uh, my, my regional colleagues. Uh, we have a great time. We get together formally uh, twice a year to make sure we avoid duplication and close any gaps that we have and to make sure that we're all in the proper direction and can help each other out. And I really enjoy them. You know, we, we have a lot of fun. And then, of course, my board, uh, I've been so lucky to have a very engaged board. When I came on, uh, Jim Cherry, who was then the head of Montreal Airport, they face the issues because, you know, being a federated organization is not that easy. <laughs> you know, it's you're kind of dealing with the roles and relationships has always got to be managed. And they really faced up to the issues. You have to have an engaged board to make this work. You know, these are CEOs, they're very talented people, and we have to make sure they actually pay attention, show up, offer their insights and their wisdom. And so we put in some protocols to get that engagement and it has really worked very well. Oh, that's brilliant. To conclude, Angela, is there an airport over your time during aviation that has stood out? A favorite airport, if you will? I never answer that question. It's like asking who your favorite child is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Sadly, that is the end of this podcast episode. I, for one, could talk to Angela all day. Her years spent in aviation truly make for some great stories, and I hope you found some takeaways from her advice. It is a great shame to be seeing Angela leave the industry. However, we at International Airport Review wish her good luck for the future and thank her for her continuing support and contributions. Let me remind you that this podcast is available on our website, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Whilst you listen, double check you have subscribed to receive a free copy of our magazine and join us on our social media channels. Thank you for listening today. I look forward to the next.